Well, good morning, everybody. And welcome here to church this morning. It is such a pleasure to be here in Potsdam and to have the opportunity of talking to you. Uh, I can't tell you what an honor it is for me to be here, Glenn, and, and Jim, and for those who invited me to be here this morning. One thing that I, that I rarely do is to speak about myself. I, I almost never say anything about myself because I'm certainly not the center of any degree of attention whatsoever. However, I would like to give you just perhaps a couple of quick sentences about my background just to give you an idea of who I am. I was born and I was raised in Dexter, New York, about, oh, 90 miles from here. I attended the Crane School of Music and I taught for 33 years. As Glenn said, I taught for 30 years in Sackett's Harbor. I was the instrumental director at Sackett's Harbor. My wife, Kathleen, and I, we've been married over 30 years now, uh, live in Governor. And Kathleen is the organist at the First Presbyterian Church in Governor, and also occasionally in Theresa. And it's interesting to note because this morning, um, both of those services were canceled because of the weather. But it's so nice that uh, this one was not. And once again, Glenn, I thank you most kindly for, for giving me the honor of coming up and speaking today. And you know, speaking about today, I have a message that is light and I think quite reflective of, of the new year. And to the start of another year, of love and Christian fellowship. Uh, let me give you a little background on that. First of all, let me tell you how I preach. My, my, my sermons are, are geared maybe a little bit more to, uh, to the traditional way rather than this church because this is, seems to be such a nice, free, and open, and wonderful church. But I will tell you that Dr. Harry Ferguson, who was... Uh, he used to teach at the Wesleyan Seminary in Washington, D.C., and was a close friend of a friend of mine, said the following things about how to preach a good sermon, and I want you to take this to heart. He said that preaching a sermon was a three-step process. First, you're going to tell them what you're going to say. Second, you're going to say it. And third, you're going to tell them what you said. <laughs> now, I don't, know if that's, I don't know if that's a particularly important thing, but that's how I learned to preach. But uh, at any rate, let's get right on to our topic this morning. Now, today is the eighth day after Christmas. And the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ came on that day, of course. And our sermon today is called, Away in a Manger. And in it, we'll be looking at those several wondrous days following Christ's birth, drawing especially from the Gospels this morning of Matthew. We're going we're gonna to look at some of Matthew's Gospel. And then later on, some of Luke's Gospel. And we'll end with a little bit from John, which I think you'll find to be truly wonderful. This should really give us a fairly clear picture of these first few days that happen right after the Christmas season. 
Now, to begin with, let's review that world-changing event that we celebrate on December 25th. Certainly the most momentous event for modern man. And to do so, let's immediately go to the Bible. This should be our guide for all we study with regard to our Christian faith. I've said this right along for many, many years, that the Bible is really our, our handbook, if you please. For instance, let's take a look. First, how about this one? Let's say, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Or maybe how about this one? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, now certainly you recognize those verses, I'm sure, but actually... Those are Old Testament prophecies from the book of Isaiah, written, oh, maybe 700 years or so ago. I should say 700 years prior to the birth of Christ. And this is really no trick that I chose these things. It is simply an example for you of the Bible and of the importance of reading it and reading it daily. Glenn mentioned to you that I'm a big believer in the Bible, and I believe in reading it every single day. There are very few days that I don't. Remember that the Word of God is the greatest, the greatest book ever assembled. Again, friends, if you don't already do it, read. Read that Bible every day. It's, it, it's an experience unlike anything else. Those, uh, those, those early versions, those Old Testament prophecies, kind of, if you will, set the stage for our first passage this morning that I'm going to take some time with, and that is in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 2. I think I have it someplace up here on one of these boards. But if you would, if you need to take out a Bible, take that Bible out, I I used, for today's uh, sermon, I used the English Standard Version, which I understand you all have out there. So let's go to Matthew's Gospel. But let me begin by speaking about, uh, by speaking about the beginning of how this comes about. To put, put it very briefly, remember that Matthew was written... Matthew is the first of the four Gospels, and it was written to uh, the nation Israel. Matthew is geared to the nation Israel, and specifically to those with, that are of a religious nature. Now, Mark, whose Gospel we won't be looking at today, was really directed to the Romans, Luke's gospel was written to the Greeks or to perhaps the thinking man, and John's beautiful work was written to those who were already believers. And John's book is perhaps 
uh, centered more around people from the east, maybe Egyptians or Babylonians or Persians or even farther away like India and beyond. Now, the late Dr. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, who was pastor at the Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles and founder of the Through the Bible Radio Network, said it another way. This is how he put those four Gospels. He said, Matthew emphasizes that Jesus was born the Messiah. Mark, again, who we won't be uh, uh, covering this morning, emphasizes that Jesus was the servant of Jehovah. Luke stresses the fact that Jesus was the perfect man, and John presents the fact that God became a man. That's a good way to look at the four Gospels, I think. However you want to look at them, let's begin in the Gospel once again of Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus occurs toward the end of chapter 1. In fact, it is in verse 25 of chapter 1. And chapter 2 begins with the visit of the wise men. Now, something you need to know right at the start, right at the start of that passage, is that Matthew never tells us that there were three wise men. He never tells us that at all. And he never identifies as to who they were. Now, you and I all grew up knowing, uh, learning, I should say, that the three wise men were Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. But that is not really the case, at least as we know it, that's not the case. Perhaps the number can be associated more with the gifts that were brought, as you'll see as we go along. And I will tell you that speculation is that there were most likely far more than just three wise men or there wouldn't have been an impact on Herod. It wouldn't have had the impact that there was. Now, speaking of Herod, this section of Scripture also deals with King Herod, of Herod the Great, and his trickery and cruelty. But much of that we can actually leave for another day. Just suffice it to say that Herod lived during that time, and incidentally, he passed away in 4 B.C. So we don't historically get to see very much of him, only at the very beginning of the life of our Savior. But let's pick up the action, starting right at the beginning of chapter 2, if you please. It says... Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was so troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be and where he was to be born. And they told him it, that it would be in Bethlehem of Judea. So Herod, ever mindful of possible plots and political threats, in verse 7 goes on, 
to say, or goes on, and, and it, it, it shows that he summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. Now we know that there was a little, perhaps, trickery there. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen, which incidentally, in, in most Bibles, the older translation is the star in the east. However, in your English Standard Version, in my English Standard Version, that's only a footnote. That's become a translation that has become a footnote in Scripture. But... It says, Behold, the star that they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So they went into the house that they were, they saw him, and they worshipped him greatly. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, friends, this is perhaps where we come up with the idea of three wise men, one for each of those gifts. But there's nothing again in the Scripture that says that. And then it's important to realize what it says after that. It says, after being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Kind of an interesting end to that section in Scripture. Now, from Matthew's Gospel, let's turn to the, to the Gospel of Luke. And he gives a similar, though not exact, picture of that time. Now Luke was an intellectual, and he was also a physician. And because of that, his version of this is put forth in the Bible in a very methodical way. Of the four Gospels, I think Luke's is the most complete. It's the most complete of all the historical narratives. Dr. Henrietta Mears points out that Luke portrays Christ as the Son of Man, and we pick up the gospel also in chapter 2, this time at verse 8. Listen, please, if you will. It says, In the same region there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were filled with fear. You have to picture that these people are just shepherds. They're quiet shepherds out in a field at night, just watching their flock. And all of a sudden, the mighty angel of God appears. This is going to scare these people. And you can imagine, again, those solitary shepherds, peaceful and calm, suddenly being confronted by that. However, going on to verse 10, it, said, it says that the angel said to them, 
fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was, there was a, an angel with it's a multitude of hosts. And they were, they were heavenly hosts. And they were praising God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased, in whom he is pleased. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful passage? These, these awestruck shepherds must have, have, have just rejoiced when they saw what, what, what this angel was going to do. They must have rejoiced at that. What a beautiful thing that is. And then the angel left them and the shepherds decided to check out what they had been told. They decided to say, well, geez, we're going to go and check this out and see what's really going on. Now, picking up at verse 16, it says, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, Mary, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So the shepherds were most likely the first to see that holy child. Imagine that. Those shepherds were the very first. Now you may think about the wise men. But the wise men, the three wise men, encountered him in a house. And that was probably quite a bit later as you get looking at things. That was probably later. So the first people that saw the baby Jesus would most likely have been those wonderful shepherds. Thus, for today, we have looked at the Gospels of Matthew and Luke to find out about the earliest days in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we've done so far. Now, in Luke, we found shepherds who, following their, their, their angelic visit, found the baby still lying in the manger. And in Matthew, we encounter the wise men, the men who, who, who Mary saw at a later time. But now let's end today with a reading from another gospel. Let's end today with a reading from John's gospel. Now John portrays Christ as the Son of God. And in his gospel is a bit different than the others. As I'm certain you recall, there is no account in John of his birth. And no account of his boyhood. Here, only here, 
Christ is called the Word. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word, and you have to understand that, as I'm sure you all do, you have to understand that to get what this gospel means from the start. In John, he is the Son of God, but he's more than that. He is God. The prologue clearly gives us that. Listen to these beautiful words once again, if you please, from from the beginning of the chapter 1 prologue. And take this to heart, friends. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So think about that. Think about the wonder of that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It doesn't matter where you go back, how far back you go. Genesis. That's nothing compared to the time that we're talking about here. It's an endless time back, as far back as you can think. The beginning was with God, and the the Word was God from the beginning. What an awesome thought that is. Those first five verses are perhaps among the greatest in all Scripture. And then as we move ahead just a little bit, going on at verse 9, it says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Again, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, now friends, what more can be said after that? Know simply that on this January 2nd, we look back upon the greatest birth in the history of mankind. And may God richly bless each and every one of you on this January 2nd. And once again, I want to thank Jim Hold and Glenn Ewart and the people who made it possible. I want to thank you very kindly for the opportunity of speaking to you this morning. It's a bit daunting to be up here with lights and microphones and things. I'm used to having a podium up here. But what a pleasure it is to see all of you wonderful people in this place. And now, friends, shall we pray? Heavenly Father, as we celebrate the first days in the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, help us to understand what he means for us all. Though he came to us in that that lowly stable in Bethlehem, help us to see that he always was 
is, and shall always be. Let our faith and hope and love shine as we celebrate His name in whom we pray. Amen.